You're listening to Sobriety with Ari Eastman. Hey, that's me. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Sobriety with me, Ari. It's Folgers in your cup. Oh my God, did I kind of nail that? What the hell? Holy shit. Holy shit. Capitol Records. Where are you? Come here. Give me a record deal. I don't know why Capitol Records was the one that came to mind. Oh, I know why. Because, okay, one of my guilty pleasure TV shows that I like is Lucifer. I don't think it's a very good show, but I actually, it's gotten better. The first couple seasons I remember watching and be and actively disliking the show and yet wanting to keep watching it because, first of all, uh, the actor, Tom Ellis, is incredibly hot and I I feel like I started to have this thing where does this ever happen to any of you where you have a dream about a person for example that you you know maybe they're a stranger maybe you you know know them casually but you don't look at them in a romantic way and then you have a dream about them where you have a relationship or you hook up or you have some sort of romantic experience and then you wake up the next day and you look at that person differently and you're just like wait a second, am I in love with Frank in my biology class? Did I just now discover my feelings? That's happened to me. That's happened to me a couple times. Actually, that happened to me in college. There was this guy um, who I was in class with. Never thought much about him. I mean, he was nice. And then I had a dream that we kissed. And the next day, I remember sitting in class and looking at him and being like, oh my God, I have a crush on him. And then I had a crush on him the entire year, like a very, very serious crush on him. He had a girlfriend the whole time. It was, you know, very, nothing was ever going to happen there. But I was just like so infatuated with him. I mean, it's truly embarrassing the amount of lengths I went to to just like try and get his attention. And it was all very platonic. Like, again, he had a girlfriend. I never was going to cross a boundary. Didn't I didn't want him. I mean, what I wanted in my heart was for him to break up with his girlfriend because he wanted to and then realize he was in love with me and then we would get together and get married and happily ever after but I would do so many things like I used to um, this was film school so (laughs) I mean if anyone from film school is listening they'll be able to figure out who this is in two seconds although they all pretty much knew he is the only person I think that didn't know I had a huge crush on him everybody else in the class knew and Uh, this was in college, so a lot of us didn't have cars, you know, because we were just walking to class and we lived in, uh, you know, college towns, you don't usually need to drive, you just walk around places. But I would rent this zip car, I had like a zip car membership, I don't know if that still exists, where you could rent cars for blocks of time. And so whenever I would overhear that he needed to do something, like he needed to go into Burbank to get his film developed... I'd be like, hey, well, I actually already have my zip car reserved. So like, I'll take you. So embarrassing. Where was I? Oh, yeah, Lucifer. So I started watching Lucifer on Netflix. And then I had a dream that I was in the show and that I was hooking up with Lucifer, who if you don't know, Lucifer is like a Netflix show um, about the devil, like literally Satan. But he's not bad. He's like cheeky and like sexy and like, you know, but he's not actually evil and he comes down to earth and then he joins the LAPD as a consultant and he helps solve crimes. Yeah. And so I had a dream that he and I were hooking up and then I just 
was like, wait, am I in love with this show? <sighs> what? Why did I start talking about this? Oh, yes, Capitol Records. So there's a shot in Lucifer, like an external shot that they do all the time of the Capitol Records building in Hollywood. I don't know, just a show like, we're in L.A. Um, so that's probably why I reference Capitol Records as the one who should give me a record deal for my scene of the Folgers theme song. Anywho, moving on to today's episode, um, you may not be able to tell by my quippy and cheerful nature, but I felt very angry uh, this weekend, and I felt triggered by content I saw, uh, a joke about people dying young from excessive drinking. And I think that something that I've been having to work on and I'm not doing it very successfully because I post about it on Instagram and TikTok, but I'm I'm really navigating right now. I feel very strong and safe in my recovery in that I know I'm not, I don't want to drink. Not only do I know I can't drink and I shouldn't drink, but I don't want to drink and I feel very comfy there and it's very... Uh, routine in a very safe way for me now and so the the my biggest challenge that I have been sort of dealing with and kind of grappling with is how we exist in a world where we are sober from something that is so social and socially acceptable and I would say I, I'm normally okay because this is something I've said on the podcast before I have friends who drink I would more of my friends drink than are sober and it, it doesn't bother me. My roommate will have wine or a, a, a cocktail while we're watching a show or a movie. It doesn't bother me. I'll go out with them to a restaurant when they'll they'll order drinks. Uh, you know, when I go visit my mom, she has wine like these things really don't bother me. And I also don't think that it's on us as addicts, as people with alcohol use disorder, as people who struggled and got sober from something. It's not on us to tell other people what they can or can't do. Last episode we had on my friend Devin and they said something really powerful that has stuck with me and it's that sobriety is a deeply personal choice. We can't just assume that the thing that worked for us is going to work for other people and it is a it is a personal journey, it is a personal decision, it is very individual. And there's I think of a fairly common feeling at some when you're in some stage of recovery, maybe it's maybe it happened in the beginning for you. Uh, maybe it came down the road, but I think it's really natural to at some point bump up, bump up against the feeling of being angry at the world for not getting sober with you. And this is something I've experienced in other ways of dealing with grief because it's going to sound fucked up, but when my dad died, I was 16 and I was mad at the world for continuing. I was mad at people laughing that I would walk by strangers, total strangers, I would walk by total strangers and they would just be smiling and laughing and I was mad at them. I thought, how dare they? Like, do they not, I mean, do they not know that my dad just died and they're out there laughing? How dare they? Life is an inherently traumatic event. And by what? By that, I mean, we will all have trauma 
in our lifetime. Like, and we, it doesn't matter the, the, you know, varying degrees of, of your trauma. Living, living as a human being is a traumatic experience. And there's good, there's plenty of good in that. I don't mean that to sound as if like living is a burden. There are so many joys. And when we find inspiration and when we connect with each other, living is a very uh, nuanced thing that contains multitudes of joy and despair and, you know, everything. But it is a traumatic experience because we live and we die. So we will live and love people who will die. We will witness death. Um, so how did I get from freaking Lucifer Morningstar here? Sorry, this is what you get when you sign up for sobriety. Uh, but you know, you know what I mean, right? You know what I mean? It's So of course, there are going to be things that trigger us, that are painful to us, that other people see no problem with. <sighs> trigger is a word that, you know, people have been like, oh, we overuse trigger and everybody's triggered. But we we are. We are triggered all the time in life. We are triggered. And it sucks. It sucks to be triggered. And it's painful. And I, I, I hope we can hold empathy for each other to, listen, we're going to trigger one another, unfortunately, because we're, again, experiencing life and life is traumatic. But why can't why is it such an issue like you know when people are like oh like everyone's too sensitive now is it such a bad thing that we want to practice care and compassion and if someone expresses something is painful to them like is that such a big deal that we say that we try that we try to comfort one another in this in this traumatic experience we call life like, what is so wrong with that? You know what I mean? I'm getting angry again. <laughs> I gotta go watch Lucifer. Go walk into Capitol Records. I have been speaking out and, and, and voicing my concerns when I see content from especially very famous influencers. And by famous, I mean they have a lot of followers because to me, you know, influencer... Is a, is a person with influence. So uh, it does matter what people put out there. And I've said this before. You should, there, you should be able to critique media. And influencers are part of media. They are creating content. So I saw content that I found harmful and dangerous because it promoted excessive drinking and made a joke out of dying young because of excessive drinking. And I spoke out about it. And as always happens, some people agree with me and some people think I'm blowing it out of proportion and you're never going to please everybody and that's fine. And we all come at things from different lenses and different perspectives because of the things that have traumatized us. I go to a place of righteous anger quickly when I see something that to me is promoting harmful drinking and I go there because it's personal, right? In the same way my sobriety is personal, I take that as something personal because I think about all the times I saw stuff where my drinking patterns and behavior were normalized and how many people see stuff that keeps them in cycles. And that's not to say that seeing this stuff is what 
causes addiction or alcohol abuse, but it definitely perpetuates it and it definitely keeps it in a cycle. I have to learn how to speak about things and critique things, but not take it personally in a way where, yes, comments do affect me and I do feel like um, a kind of a deep sorrow when I'm when I want to explain to someone, you know, it's like I, I it's like you know the Matrix and you just you took the red pill or the blue pill or whatever. I tried to make this analogy la- on a previous episode, I think, and it never works because I don't really remember what happened. The Matrix kind of went over my head. I'll be honest with you, but it's like I've discovered something new, and suddenly I'm wanting to warn everybody and tell everybody, but guess what? Not everybody cares and not everybody even needs to needs my information. And this is something I have always struggled with is that the funny thing is I'm not confrontational in person. I am much more on the passive side of things. Believe it or not, I actually am a peacekeeper. I like to keep everybody you know, I'm sort of like I've always been in I've always been the mediator when I was younger. No, literally when I was younger, there was a program in elementary school. I cannot remember what it was called, but basically you got nominated by your classmates to be like, I don't know what they called it, but basically the peacekeeper and your job was I feel like I got to call my mom and ask her about this, but basically I got nominated from my class And you would take turns during, I think, recess. And you were um, a peer mediator. So when kids would get into fights with each other, I was the person in like the principal's office with them, helping them like say I statements. This is now I'm starting to wonder, did they not have a school counselor in the budget? Hmm. All that to say, I don't go out looking to pick fights with people, but I am quick to comment on things that I see online that I find upsetting or that I find problematic for whatever reason. And I believe in everything I, I say. I, I stand by it. But I also think I'm 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 having to learn to take some of my, you know, righteous anger my feeling personally hurt and knowing that, you know, I got to keep my side of the street clean and that's what I got to worry about and, you know, continue to be a better person for the people in my life and my recovery and that, yes, it is it is beneficial to point out things to people because I think it's always necessary to deconstruct media and what we see and the messages we're receiving but that sometimes this is just hurting me more and it's just me feeling like fueling a rage and an anger and and does the anger ultimately come from the world is not sober with me I don't know maybe 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 it is maybe it is right back to the place where I was mad that everyone else got to have a dad and mine was dead. Maybe that is what it comes back to. Because as much as I say, oh, I'm so comfortable with everyone drinking around me, and I am, 
because those people are respectful and those are my friends. You know, none of my, I will say, I don't hang out with anybody who gets belligerently drunk. I haven't gone to any kind of crazy parties since getting sober. I don't know how I would handle it. So it's, it is easy for me to say, yeah, I don't have an issue. I don't have an issue with, with people drinking around me because they're drinking in, well, I guess technically not healthy ways because alcohol is inherently not healthy, but they're not drinking in hazardous ways or unhealthy ways. So who knows? Would I be judgmental if they were? I don't know. And where does that judgment come from? It comes from, from, from hurt, from my own personal hurt. I also think it comes from fear, from fear of, of the dark depths and the places that I went to. And I don't want other people to go there. So if I see someone participating in harmful behavior, yeah, I want to like step in and help them. And then that, but, but then, you know what that gets very, that gets very savvy. That gets very like, let me lead you the way I have the light. Come, I'll save you. Because not everybody needs to be saved from what I have decided they need to be saved from. That, and it all comes back to the personal. It is the personal. Sobriety is personal. Recovery is personal. Uh, naming your alcohol problem is personal. The way I am receiving this content, the way it's making me angry, that's personal too. And even if it's valid, is there's there's validity in it, but it's still personal. And I think that I I I don't know. I don't know. That's what I do here is I process, right? I talk out loud. But I am am trying to learn how to take that anger and, and what are things that I can do with it. I can talk it out. I can talk it out on the podcast. What are some other things I can do? Meditation. I actually had to Google a guided meditation on YouTube. Google on YouTube. I had to I had to Google on the YouTube. No, I had to search on YouTube for a guided meditation for stress to release stress because I felt like I was holding all of this like anger. And sometimes I like I said I, I almost seek it out. I seek out that reaction. And um it was very helpful. It was very helpful to get me back and grounded and in the moment because what is that anger doing for me? Did I just save the world? Did I just make um, this alcohol company stop posting cringy TikToks that I deem as problematic? No. No, they're not going to. I've spoken out about them enough times. I know they see it. I know they've they've gotten the critiques and they don't they don't care. And that's fine. That's the way they're going to do their business. So me holding this anger, what is it really doing? Just raising my cortisol levels. And what else can I do? I can go for a really long walk. Simple. So simple. And that is a... I, in some ways, I hate when we go like, go for a walk as if that's like the cure to everything because it's not. It's not like you're like, I'm really overwhelmed and I feel like I'm struggling because I'm like in massive amounts of debt and, um, uh, you know, the love of my life just left me. And also I have I'm ill. And then someone goes, have you tried going for a walk? Yeah, I went for a walk and all of those things were cured. Thank you. But I think when you have a really strong emotion going for a long walk does help us kind of calm down from it. And, and as we walk, there, there are studies about the kind of slow nature of a walk, the repetitive movement of like, you know, you're moving your feet and that it can help us with creative thinking and problem solving. And so 
okay, I feel, I feel, I saw something that made me feel angry. Okay, well, before I respond to it, I am going to go for a walk. And I'm going to see how I feel after the walk. And if I'm still really angry, then maybe I can dive into it and talk about it. But I think that this is something I am going to try and work on. And I'm probably not going to be that successful at it because I'm very flawed. But that's kind of my game plan for when I feel anger about things related to drinking because I can't change it ultimately. So I can reach out to my sober community. I can validate them. I can support them. I can let them know how worthy and wonderful and amazing they are. Um, and and that's my side of the street, you know, and that's what I can worry about. And so I think that's going to be my new kind of game plan going forward, dealing with this anger, because I don't need to let it consume me. I don't need to let it swallow me whole, you know? <sighs> well, on that note, it's time for... It's something that made me happy this week. It's my pink cloud of sobriety. My pink cloud is a is a simple one. It is a sheer simple pleasure. It is uh it is that I can feel that fall. Fall is finally in the air. I got to wear sweatpants and a sweatshirt, and feel a little bit chilly still. Do you know how long I have waited for that all summer, all spring? That is all I want. Now, did the ne- did a couple days later it become like 90 degrees? Yes. But for that one sheer beautiful moment in Los Angeles, it was so, it was cold enough that I had on sweatpants and a sweatshirt, and socks, and I could put a blanket on my lap, and it felt goddamn glorious. Um, so that's what I'm excited about. Again, it's LA. It's still hot. I think it's like 90 degrees today, so, you know, it didn't last very long. But anytime there is a chill in the air, that's my pink cloud. And it's just, October is a month that I really, really like. It's strange because this is the month, you know, sorry, downer. This is the month my dad died in. But for whatever reason, I still really love October. I love the the change. Um, I mean, we don't really have a seasonal change. But I love that it's sort of getting colder. And I love Halloween. I love the witchy aesthetic. I just really, I love everything about October. I think it's it's one of the best months of the year. So, There you go. That is my pink cloud. The month of October. Thanks again for listening and tuning in to another episode of Sobriety with me. Folgers in your cup. I don't know. Can I get sued for that? Don't don't come for me, Folgers. I have nothing. Thank you. Um, love you all so much. As always, it's super appreciated if you leave a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend. Subscribe. Um, I've been toying around with uh, doing some video content on Patreon. So if that's something you'd be interested in, I don't know, send me a DM. Encourage me to do it. And uh, until next time, have a fan fantastic rest of your day night afternoon week love you 